So that pullout went well, huh? <laughs> Worse than expected in some ways, I would say. Uh, yeah, I had really low expectations, and they basically met all of them. As far as, like, being, as far as being poor. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yeah, we talked about this episode one, right? Like, it, uh, the ending was always going to end like this. I had hoped it wouldn't take just a month. Um, and not that I'm, I'm wishing for morbidity of any kind, but after two decades of us being there fighting, I would have hoped that the Taliban wouldn't have been able to walk into the Capitol without fighting, you know? Yeah. And I think, I mean, my expectations would have been poor fighting, but fighting nonetheless. Yeah. So, I think, I mean, obviously for the last couple of months, we've heard Biden talk up the Afghan military. I've seen a lot of people criticize that, like using his old clips. Like, what is he supposed to say? Like, these guys aren't going to fight. They're going to throw down their weapons. We got to go. Like, I, I understand that, like, we want our politicians to be truthful. However, at some point, I get that he's got to put a spin on it. It's It was never going to be good. If, if this, I think this proves all of our priors basically like confirms all of our priors, right? Like we yeah. knew we hoped that after all the training and equipment and in 20 years <laughs> that the Afghan military would put up a fight. They just didn't want to, they don't want to, they don't have that. I mean, we can argue or it can be argued, you know, that the Taliban, you know, want it more and that, it was never, they were just going to, the Afghan military would, would have lost long term and lost a lot of lives. So why fight it? But we, we had hoped, like you said, we had hoped it would take a little longer than a month with basically just absolute abandonment of all of their military gear and all of their military bases. Uh, there, there was, and the fact that that happened just reinforces the fact that there was nothing we could have done besides stay there forever. Yeah, you know, so if you assume President Biden was telling the truth in his speech yesterday, um, which I rarely assume for politicians, but I actually believe, think everything he said yesterday. Um, I mean, he had private conversations with Ghani um, saying your military has to fight. Like, are you sure you're going to fight? And he was, you know, so, so it wasn't like he wasn't asking those questions or having candid conversations. Um but I like the fact that President Biden called him out and said they quit. Like, yeah, the government quit, the military quit. And that was his whole point is after two decades, what would have made them not quit? Ten right. more years? You know, like yeah. and at this point, it, it's, it's hopeless. And I thought he did well drawing out the statistics of we spent how many billions of dollars training and equipping and maintaining their military. They had a 300,000 person military, which like he, he said yesterday, bigger than several NATO allies. We did everything we could. If this was the inevitable conclusion, it was always going to be that. Um, yeah. and, and quite frankly, they're just the military and the government of Afghanistan is not worthy of the sacrifices of better men and more noble women. And that's what it would have taken to prevent this, but it would have taken it indefinitely and you can't sustain that. That's yeah. It was good. It was gonna have to be the fifty first state if for this not to happen. Yeah, absolutely. So the the, the biggest thing, I, the the two things that I don't say two things need to come out of this. The only thing I would have done yesterday if I was President Biden is I wish he would have taken questions. Um, and I think I think the American public's entitled to being able to ask questions. Um, that what has to come out of this though is a recognition that our post World War II foreign policy has always failed. Um, the nation building, the interventionalist strategy that we haven't had until after World War II um, has not served us well. So this, I mean, he, he called this out yesterday about Vietnam. Yes, he did well to not make the same mistakes of continuing this effort indefinitely. But, but you just have to look at foreign policy and where we've gone wrong in the 20th and 21st century. And if that doesn't happen then this doesn't matter because it's going to be some other country that we're doing this for in, in time. Yeah. Uh, what What's your feeling on kind of the inside baseball? Do you think the Taliban, like, so the big, 
the big uh, worry that I kind of see is that, oh, now the Taliban controls Afghanistan. Uh, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, that sort of thing are going to gain a foothold again. But they weren't really on friendly terms before. Like the Taliban, don't get me wrong, they're fundamentalists. They have some wild beliefs. Uh, I feel sorry for every woman and and girl, little girl in Afghanistan now. Uh, but they weren't like, you know, bombing buildings in foreign countries. They like Afghanistan's mm-hmm. a big country. The Taliban knows that there's basically areas of of Afghanistan that they can't control. You know, yeah. beyond having some, you know small forces like it, it was a it was a it was a very territorial place to begin with and the taliban knew that and the al-qaeda exploited that for training camps back you know in the 90s but they were never really on friendly terms do you think this is gonna to me this like the Taliban's gonna be even more inclined not to not to work with al-qaeda or any other like i don't know international terrorist organization because they've seen firsthand what happens when when they do um so, yeah so, so I, I i think what a lot of people don't understand is that by textbook definition the taliban is not a terrorist organization because a fundamental aspect of a terrorist organization is wanting to export your ideology beyond national boundaries yeah. and that wasn't the taliban's uh priority or goal or, or i mean that just wasn't who they were and i don't think it's who they are still um our big issue with them is that they were the governing authority that provided safe haven to Al Qaeda, which is a terrorist organization that does want to export their ideology beyond any national boundary. Um, so while they're, while the Taliban is certainly evil, um, they are not haven't historically been a threat to the United States because they want to keep their evil confined to Afghanistan. Um, yeah, you, you would, you would hope, that that wouldn't change. Um, I, I, I just don't know. You know, I, I don't know that their calculus considers the loss of life um, or the longevity of a conflict. I think they're a patient, sacrificial uh, people, and that's just not something that they're going to consider as heavily as. Uh, most other nations or people groups would when you when you think about armed conflict. So, I, I think it's just the ideological difference that might be um, what is what is best serving the United States or <laughs> most in our benefit. So I say best serving, but most in our benefit here. Um, but I don't think it's going to be the calculus of man. We fought for twenty years, lost a lot of lost a lot of people. Therefore, let's not provide safe haven to terrorist organizations. I just think it's going to be more just an ideological issue. Yeah, and I don't necessarily mean they're going to take some like active counterterrorism stance. I just think they're going to be less likely to sure. to uh, you know cooperate. Like even the first time, it was never really about oh, we want to protect Al Qaeda because they're one of our own. Is more like no, the United States has no jurisdiction here. We're not going to export Muslims to the United States, or not export, but uh, extradite Muslims to the United States. Like, it was more of a, we're not going to work with you type of thing. It wasn't necessarily like, like, yes, they harbored Al-Qaeda in the very technical sense of it, but it wasn't because they were doing it because they, you know, were were in cahoots with them necessarily. It was just like, no, we're not going to let the United States come in here and ruin our sovereignty, basically. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's pretty much what it was. Um, so, we'll, we'll see. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I, I think, like you said, I mean, the, the, the even if they don't um, actively engage in terrorism or become a a base where they allow terrorists to train, um, it's just exceptionally sad beyond words what the future for the people look like there um and and i mean yeah you and i both spent time over there so so to realize the opportunity that was lost and the opportunity for them that so many people sacrificed for that's that would i think in a lot of ways that was just even though we you and i specifically predicted this a lot of people predicted this seeing it come to pass 
was hard. Um, is yeah. hard. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it doesn't matter. In the it way it is. How, it doesn't matter how mentally prepared you are for it. Like, it was 20 years. Uh, I, I've We haven't spoken about this personally, but I know people who passed away in the Afghanistan conflict. Uh, and I was kind of talking about this at work. Like, I don't feel like the first 10 years up until bin Laden was a waste. Like, we went there and we we did our job of finding the person, quote unquote, the person responsible for 9-11. Uh, he happened to be in Pakistan and not Afghanistan, but still, it was you know part of that ten years. Post post the UBL raid, though, it's hard not to feel like we wasted the last ten years. Like, what were we doing? Mm-hmm. Well, and I thought President Biden did a good job um, of calling that out. Was you know we went there to uh, decimate Al Qaeda and their ability to train and plan from Afghanistan. And we went there to find um, not just bin Laden, but those who were responsible for September 11th attacks. He's like, we did both of those things. Yeah. Everything beyond that was not the goal. That was not the mission. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, again, I thought I, th- I thought he said good things. And if you believe him, and in this situation, everything he said was reasonable. E- even to his point of, you know, there's a reason we didn't um, immediately get people out of Afghanistan um, when he talked about that creating a crisis of confidence for the government and, and some of yeah. them, and I believe this too, some of them were like, man, we spent the last 20 years fighting besides you. We want to stay and see this through. We want our country to be better. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think even, especially then they didn't think their government was going to immediately just quit. They didn't think right. that so many, with the exception of a few special forces groups, um, so many soldiers if you want to call them that, but, but it's going to quit. Um, and now that they have, it seems like there was some contingency to keep enough people around to be able to quickly get back in, extradite um, allies, extradite citizens, extradite partners, um, and secure the, the airfield and secure the transportation routes to accomplish that. I hope it goes smoothly. I hope that we really were planning for this, even if the timing is quicker than we thought. Um, because we owe um, a lot of a lot of people um, the ability to get them out to assist them. Um, so, like I said, that, that's why I hope he's being truthful and not just political. Um, and I buy all of his explanations up to this point, but it would be incredibly disheartening um, and unjust if, if we just left people there to say, all right, well, figure, figure it out guys. Um, in the sense of, especially those who helped us. Um, so, so we'll see. Yeah. Uh, it's a tough situation, tough pill to swallow. Uh, it's 20 years in the making. So very slow moving car crash. Uh, for what it for what it's turned out to be but on that somber note we'll uh go ahead and do our introductions i'm jake i'm at the rake but the a's of four on twitter my co-host as always is thomas at thomas black underscore 86 on twitter we are the 1v1 deep state podcast that was a really long intro if you want more on our thoughts on, on the afghanistan pullout we talked about this on our very first episode it was all about the afghanistan pullout we went over what we're doing there, how we think the pullout was going to go. And this was basically two months ago. Uh, so the writing was on the wall. I don't, we're not, you know, we're not psychics. This is basically the only, unfortunately, the only outcome that was going to make any sense. Uh, I, I We we hope that everybody that can get out gets out, but it's a very sad situation. And we could probably do a whole other episode on that but i think uh, everything that needs to be said has been said in our intro so the main topic tonight is something that we've been been a hot topic for the last i don't know eight months maybe longer vaccines vaccine passports (laughs) vaccine mandates lockdowns uh everything involved with uh the pandemic as it currently stands uh in august of 2021 and me and Thomas go back and forth on Twitter all the time, especially about this topic, uh, mostly about legality and what's right and what's wrong. So it should be an interesting conversation tonight. Uh, I don't want to do any HIPAA violations, even though it's not. I'm vaccinated and you're more than welcome to say whether you're vaccinated or not. 
<laughs> nope, I'll, I'll leave it a mystery. Oh, that's good. That makes it even better. <laughs> uh, so as of August 2021, about half of the United States is vaccinated. Half, I believe that includes children in that. So the unvaccinated includes children in that, which aren't aren't eligible to get vaccinated on most cases. They're still pending uh, approval. I believe and, it's 12 and under. I believe. Yes, uh, 12, yeah, yeah. yes, yes, yes. You're absolutely right. And we wanted to talk about this because school's starting. Uh, I know I got vaccinated to go to school when I was a kid. Measles, mumps, rubella. Uh, they have a chicken pox vaccine now. I wasn't so lucky when I was a kid. I had to go through it the hard way. So... <laughs> I know you have uh, some objections to the vaccine being mandated. Again, not for kids yet because it's not approved. Uh, For what it's worth, I believe the FDA is going to give the Pfizer vaccine approval in the next, what, three to four weeks is what I've been reading. Uh, I don't know how much that changes things, uh, but I'm interested to hear as someone who has school-aged children, I do not yet. My child is only 18 months what uh what are your feelings on uh if schools require not only vaccines to attend but a big thing right now is just just having to wear masks for kids in school yeah so so so, so let's start with mask and then we'll get to vaccines um so so unlike a lot of people in what would be considered my camp um i think mask mandates make sense I don't like them. Nobody likes them. I don't think anybody is looking at masks in the sense of, um, you know, man, this is great. Why weren't we doing this for five years ago? But, you know, from what I've, I've looked at, um, when you consider children that might have been cancer survivors and therefore are immunocompromised, um, when you consider children who are born with diabetes, when you consider children who just have these issues that are known to make COVID so much worse, um, I don't think it's just to essentially say get what I believe to be a worse education by doing distance learning um, or be at risk to go to uh, public school. Um, and I think it's within the government's jurisdiction to protect to protect life um, in that sense, because they don't have an opportunity to make a choice to protect themselves. Because like you said, the vaccine isn't available to um, children at this point. So uh, I think the mask mandate um, in many ways makes sense. It's within proper government authority. Um, My biggest thing would be that it should be done on the local level. I think even the state, um, probably isn't going to be able to make the best choice because of, of this, the different variables from different counties. Um, so I think you keep it at the local level um, because for instance, Loudoun County is a little bit more of a hot spot than multiple counties in like Southwest Virginia. So if the state makes this determination, they're unnecessarily creating complications for people that the complications aren't actually going to protect. Um, so I think you just leave it to local jurisdictions. That would be my biggest issue with what's happening, at least in Virginia, and how I think it should be rolled out throughout the country. Leave it to the local school boards. Yeah, and I agree with you on that. I think that the more local, the better on these these kind of issues. Uh, the data is pretty, pretty. I don't want to say clear, uh, and I don't want to say hazy, but. The, the data looks fairly good for children as far as contracting it. Uh, there are more, the more populated. When you say fairly good, you mean like it's less likely that children less will. Less likely, yes. They okay. are still, they are still vulnerable, but they are less likely, right? And so like, you know, like you said, the rural areas of Virginia that have less kids in school and they can probably maintain distance inside the classroom, probably fine. Uh, the... 35 kids per class packed inside each other's, you know, pocket basically next to each other. Probably need masks. masks. The, the states that are banning schools from doing masks. I think that's, uh, 
so counterproductive. Like, I, I don't understand what the problem is, is if a school in Texas or Florida wants to have their kids wear masks. That's that should be OK. Uh, and on the reverse side, telling these rural schools that the kids have to mask. I think that's not good either, but I think it's less bad, if that makes sense. Right. Like if you're if 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 the Delta variant or another variant comes out and sweeps through kids I'd rather be overcautious and have everybody masking, which I mean, do I think it's fine? I have to wear a mask at work and I, I don't like it, but it's also not like, I don't think we have any reason to believe it's ruining the mental health of our children nearly as much as staying at home and doing cyber school was. Uh, so I'd rather just be safe than sorry in that sense. But again, I do agree that it should be more localized and, and not, especially not a federal mandate, but definitely I'm fine with states handling it, but I would prefer, like you said, it should be each individual school making their own calls based on the data. Those are those communities. Those are their children. They should be the ones overseeing their, Mm -hmm. uh, their health and safety for more, more or less. Yeah. I think they're better positioned to understand the uniqueness of the situation as it pertains to their County. Um, you know, so yeah, so, so we, I think we completely agree on this. I would just say to get a cheap plug in for school choice, school choice would actually be even better because then you can have some schools saying we're going to mask, other schools saying we're not, and then parents parents have even more authority to say, here's what environment would be best for my child. Um, that's not the reality of the situation now. It's just another good reason why school choice makes sense. But that's a conversation yeah. for another time. But school choice doesn't matter if the entire state of Florida and Texas bans all schools from masking. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I think, I think I would just say to continue in this, in this situation, at least um, the further decentralization of government to where power and authority predominantly you know, is, is bestowed to the individual. And then beyond that, the most, most powerful government is a local government. That's what would make sense. And, and that's where I would disagree with, um, you know, like Governor DeSantis and Governor Abbott, um, because they're making I mean, they're doing the same thing Virginia's doing just in reverse. It's the state saying, here's what we will have, here's what we won't have. When I think it should just be. We're, we're, we're giving more authority to the local uh, local districts, um, and I think that would make more sense. I don't know. I mean, I, I, obviously I, I pay attention to Governor Northam more because uh, I'm Virginian. So I don't know um, the details of the arguments that Governors Abbott and DeSantis have made um, with regards to why they won't let um, this decision be made by local school boards. Um, so I don't know. It'd be interesting, to, you know, to, to read on on their opinions more. But have you yes, anything on yes. why they want to do it other than like we don't like it? We think it's encouragement of freedom. Is that well, kind of the main? Cool. It's one of those uh, funny situations where both sides have the same argument, right? It's both, both, both of them there are saying, think of the children and it's, it's playing out differently. And what's curious to me is like Republicans in general are for small government. Government stays out of your life. Uh, you make your own decisions, part of your personal responsibility, but then how do you ban local districts from wanting to mass their schools? I don't really know the, I mean, I'm going to be very cynical. My assumption is that they are uh, fighting back against Biden for political points. Uh, They are fighting against the CDC who have been hard on their states because their numbers are the highest among all the states. Uh, I don't think their decisions are really based on health data. It's mostly political posturing, in my opinion. Uh, That being said, I don't read everything that comes out of Texas and Florida. I only see what makes the news, uh, uh, you know, and that's, I fully admit that the, the news is biased and I'm, I've probably, I'm most certainly biased based on, uh, my feelings about Abbott and DeSantis, but I don't see the argument for banning, banning schools from allowing or, or mandating that their students wear masks. So again, if you're not, if you're not well read into it, I'm most certainly only well read in the sense that, uh, I read all the negative stuff. So, (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, no, so yeah, so I don't know. It seems like there's, there's a lot of agreement in that sense, but you know, I think what's interesting because the vaccine debate is is much more, um, much more nuanced. A lot more details go into that, right? Yes, um, I have one thousand percent agree. Yeah, and, and and I'll say this outright: like I am very pro vaccine. Um, it's really good. It's benefited society and in miserable ways. Um, this is not like a conspiracy theorist perspective by any sense of the word. Vaccines are good. If you want a vaccine, you should get a vaccine. Um, and the, there are, there are complications and anomalies with everything. So the reality that even with the vaccine, there have been complications and anomalies, um, in an anecdotal sense does not necessarily mean that, um, you should throw out the baby with the bathwater here. So I'll start by that because anybody listening, um, to positions that I'm going to suggest, going, I don't want them to assume immediately that I'm anti-vaccine or anything of that nature. It's okay. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to edit out that last 15 seconds. So keep going. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, you know, I, I think that the, the biggest issue, especially from a legal standpoint, I think this is why you haven't seen mandates um, aside from uh, the Cuomo, formerly known as governor, is it's still an EUA status, emergency use authorization status. And by legal definition, by legal definition, that's experimental. Um, and there are a lot of really good laws that say you cannot coerce or force experimental drugs on on subjects. So I think that's where um, any push outside of just um, encouragement without consequence to vaccine people at this stage um, is on very shaky legal grounds, in my opinion, from what I've read and what I understand about just the history of vaccine um, case law. Yeah, and I think this this is what we were arguing about on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. I think that Cuomo's Cuomo's handling of COVID has been abysmal. And the fact that he was doing victory laps like three months in, uh, this is outside of all his sexual harassment stuff. Uh, he should have been fired for all that for, for the, just the COVID stuff. The fact that he made it this long and still didn't want to step down even after all the sexual harassment stuff is that guy's a piece of crap. So that being said, I am less inclined to worry. So what he did wasn't necessarily a vaccine mandate, right? Like he didn't say you had everybody, all New Yorkers had to get the vaccine. He, they were going to ban indoor everything, basically. If you did, if you weren't vaccinated. So it's your choice whether you want to partake in indoor dining, go work out indoors in a gym, go to a movie theater. Like he was saying, if you're not going to be vaccinated and you're going to put the public health at risk, you're not allowed indoors in these establishments where COVID is most likely to spread. I I'm not saying I'm for that necessarily. I'm saying that I don't necessarily think that that is a mandate. And that falls under a lot of the experimental drug uh, EUA case law in my opinion yeah so i mean i agree with you it's not a mandate um but it is coercion and it's government coercion and that's where like um you know one of the you know just so people know like in situations like these so we don't have silly conversations where we happen to know random facts about this that the other one doesn't we've kind of shared sources and shared perspectives so the conversation is better well, one of the articles I sent you um, was about USA bus Brandt during the Nuremberg trials. And that was the whole issue that, that led to the Nuremberg Code was you can't even coerce somebody into what is legally an experimental drug. So because the government was essentially used, taking away somebody's freedom to choose indoor dining, indoor theater, indoor gym, things of that nature, um, unless you get a vaccine. I looked at that as saying this is government coercion of an experimental drug, um, again, legally experimental drug. This is not acceptable. Um, and that was my issue with it. Now, what what could I put? I kind of put that article um, on social media. And the biggest pushback I got was like, well, if the 
if these establishments want to basically force that, they should. And I agree with that. Yes. If this was if this was a store owner, a gym owner, for any reason saying, hey, these are the rules for doing business with me. If you don't like it, you can go somewhere else. That's that's the free market, right? And this, this, it this wasn't. Is, this is the vaccine passport argument, too. And another reason why uh, I'm super down on people like DeSantis and Abbott. It's supposed to be about the free market. It's supposed to be about freedom of choice. It's supposed to be about letting business owners decide what they, how they want to run their business and customers to decide to patron those businesses, banning vaccine passports, which they describe in the worst possible way. A, 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 a gym owner, a theater owner, a restaurant owner should be able to say, if you're not vaccinated, you should, you I don't want you in my store. I don't want you. You don't, you don't know if the business owner or his family or one of his regular patrons is immunocompromised. And that's the reason he wants to be like, it should, but it shouldn't matter either way, but you don't know that. And the fact that they're banning businesses from deciding this on their own, my guess is in Florida with the tourism crowd, they're going to keep everything open. They, you know, they want that money. The dollar is the all powerful dollar and that's fine, but it should be on them. Like they, the state of Florida sued the Norwegian cruise lines because the Norwegian cruise lines were requiring people to be vaccinated to go on their cruises. Uh, They lost, so far of what I've seen, they, the Florida state of Florida is, is losing that case or has lost that case already. Uh, but again, it just, it, it, with the mask mandate and the vaccine passport thing, it's, it really goes to show that they're not really the party of small government uh, any longer. And I know you're not, you, you side more with the libertarians, which I want to get into too, because the libertarian perspective on this is also interesting. Uh, but yeah, I think vaccine passports are fine. I don't, I don't see the, the reason why, as long as it's coming from the business side of things, the small, you know, the private sector. And I understand the, the uh, pushback or the negatives of a government, any government, local, state, or federal pushing those same with vaccine mandates. Uh, Especially I, I think right now the easy out is that it's the emergency use experimental, whatever, like a lot of the stuff that you, site and reference i think that's the easy out now but again in about a month all this all of these are going to be fda approved for use then we're going to get into some some weird territory where i still think that vaccine mandates and passports at the federal state and local level are still kind of a a uh i guess moral and ethical gray zone Yeah, yeah. So, so you kind of hit on okay, what happens when the FDA actually licenses this, um, and it's not EUA approved only; it's, it's fully licensed at the federal level, um, and and is on par with like a flu vaccine, smallpox vaccine, things of that nature. Um, and in truth be told, the way it's going to play out, like it or not, is there's enough case law to where I think it's just going to be permitted to be mandated at the state level. I don't think the you, you, I might be wrong. I don't think the federal government can or has ever mandated its citizens to get a vaccine because the whole, like the Harlan case, for instance, in 1905, was um, the 10th Amendment allows the states to determine what would be best for the general health of their population. Right. Um, it's under the Police Powers Act. So like the, the President Biden, Congress, federal government, I don't think for good reason, um, has a play here. I think the states can determine if the vaccine is going to be mandated or not. I think there's enough case law to say they'll get it. The, the, what will be interesting is, um, you know, the, the Harlan case, so much of the, the majority opinion in that um, came down to, you know, very general words such as significant risk, um, will define significant risk because smallpox had a mortality rate of 30%. Um, for healthy Americans, it's less than 1% for coronavirus. Um, so does that, I mean, yes, at some point, I would think it would be best to, to strictly quantify what, what determines significant risk. Um, and the Harlan decision didn't do that. So any state or locality that would try to sue a state for imposing 
vaccine mandates, uh, I think the only argument you have is that this does not cross the threshold of significant risk. Um, because with, with everything, um, for the government to take away any sort of freedom, and in this case, freedom of choice with regards to medicine, it has to be narrowly tailored and of compelling government interest. And the compelling government interest is going to be the, the key aspect here, I think, um, to define is this a grave enough risk to force vaccines on, a, on a society? Yeah, I think that. So we talked about coercion earlier. You can make life hard for the unvaccinated. We do it for. There are unvaccinated, unvax, anti-vax, not unvax, anti-vax parents who don't vaccinate their kids. And we make it really hard on them to get their kids into school. The same thing can happen with coronavirus. The same thing can happen. The federal government can mandate all the military be vaccinated. The federal government can mandate yes. all their civilian employees throughout the states be mandated or be vaccinated. Uh, states can mandate that their state employees are ma- are vaccinated. I, you can get to a point where you're not, the federal government isn't saying every citizen needs to be vaccinated, but you can make it, make the incentives very too good to pass up, basically make them an offer. They can't refuse. And you're still going to have a significant portion of the population. It seems like being anti COVID vaccine right now is way more about uh, political defiance and uh, I don't know, misinformation, being uninformed about what it actually does versus like waiting on FDA approval. I'm sure there's a, a, a portion of the people who are unvaccinated right now that, that are legitimately waiting for FDA approval. But I think the majority of them are using that as an excuse to not get vaccinated. Uh, it's a more uh, socially acceptable excuse currently, even though the data is not changing within the, in the next four months. We basically know everything there is to know. <clears throat> yeah, but I think the political posturing, and I, I'm sure you'd agree with this also, like it goes both ways. Um, I mean, goodness, when President Trump was in office, um, Virginia specifically um, was very opposed to everything he was saying, everything he was trying to do with regards to open the economy, um, you know, leaving it to the states or localities with regards to vaccine. Oh, I guess not vaccines as much of the time, but masks and things of that nature. Um, and now we see this Delta variant, things are getting worse again. And Governor Northam has already said there's not going to be another closure. Well, there's also a governor's election in Virginia this year. So what do you not want people at the poll to be really angry that their business is shut down again? really angry their kids can't go to school again. So I, th- I think the political calculus um, in most cases has driven a lot of, of decisions on both sides. And it has yeah. Yeah. rarely been about scientific understanding. And, and I think this is what, what bothers me and probably bothers um, anti-vax or um, whatever my position would be categorized as, but I'm definitely not anti-vax. Um, I think what bothers me is that when, if you're going to make your mantra, follow the science for every change of decision, you owe me a scientific ex- explanation. So even when the CDC um, lifted ask mandates, um, it did seem a little curious that the White House was having a rough week that week, I believe with immigration and with a few other things. Um, but if you're going to change it, I think you have to say, hey, look, Here's our threshold. The numbers are below this threshold. That's why we're we're changing policy. Um, and I'm not a big fan of the way Senator Rand Paul will often uh, grandstand and get into uh, the, maybe the tone of the debate he has with Dr. Fauci. But he's asked really good questions at times saying, OK, what is the percentage of vaccination that we need before you would counsel the president? Open it up, lift mask mandates, let life go back to normal. Um, and in, in my mind, he hasn't come anywhere close to um, answering that in a way that he's going to be willing to stick to or even providing some, some principled explanation of I can't give you an exact number, but here's kind of how we're pr- trying to process it. So if the module is going to be part of the science, I think you owe us a scientific explanation for here's why we're doing this. Here's what it will take to do this, things of that nature. Yeah, I think... <laughs> politics play into basically every decision almost always so i don't 
I mean, we, we call it out when we see it, when it's clearly playing politics. I, I've done it, you know, 15 minutes ago with, <laughs> with uh, Abbott and DeSantis. I, I'll be the shill for Northrum and say that lockdowns and stuff last year during Trump were when we didn't have a vaccine. Lockdowns this year are different. We have a vaccine. The reason we'd have to go into lockdown is because the unvaccinated are keeping this thing alive. Uh, it's a lot easier. And it, I'll... It's 1,000% a political play. You're right. The polls are this year, whatever. But it's also, for me, I don't see the contradiction in it between the two presidencies and between the election year thing as much as it is, okay, we have a vaccine. The reason why we're doing this or we may need to do this, it's more of a threat, right? Like, I I don't want to lock things down because we have a vaccine available. Everybody get the vaccine. I hope that, I don't don't foresee lockdowns coming back. It, It would have to, we'd have to get a new variant that, these current vaccines can't protect against because even with Delta variant, it seems like a a third booster shot might even boost the numbers even further or not boost the numbers, but boost the protection against uh, COVID even further. The. The hesitancy. I I mean, I I don't want to, I know you're not anti-vax, but it's I I can't see any other way other than even with Fauci being this <laughs> to use our episode title deep state operative who's trying to uh, I don't know experiment on the US population uh, be a fascist with making people wear masks uh, what else have I seen uh, he's uh, funding Petty Chinese China gain of function research uh he's a chinese uh not sympathizer but like a chinese plant all this stuff about fauci i i think Rand paul the problem with him is 90 percent of what he says is bs and he does get 10 percent through that i think is either uh a good question or a good point or a good principle uh but it's all done away with the 90 percent bad stuff yes he's asked fauci certain questions People, I, I, I'm not going to defend Fauci and say he hasn't made mistakes. I think he has, but he is not this. All the mistakes he's made, has, he's made for the most part, in my opinion, have come from not being a political person. He is not political. He's a scientist. He's a he works for the uh, was it NAIA or whatever. In, in, yeah, I don't know. Uh, basically, the health department, for lack of a better term uh the science is not we're not getting real-time data everything is is lag of data we're seeing the covid Mm -hmm. cases you know days or weeks or seeing the trends as they come it's hard to predict when you're going to need masks when you're not going to need masks i'm sure for fauci giving our vaccination numbers i'm sure he thought that the trend of vaccinations was going to go up until we hit maximum capacity basically and not flatten out and be only half of the United States. So I'm sure the CDC made the assumption that we're, we're going to majority get vaccinated. We're going to hit that threshold. We need to, to gain quote unquote herd immunity. And they were optimistic with what they were, the data they were seeing and everybody wanted to get rid of masks. We can be cynical and say they did it when the white house was having a bad week. I'm fine with that, but I don't think it changes the fact that the date, the data we had at the time was that people were, the vaccinations were working. They were, they were doing very well against the COVID. Uh, people were getting them at high rates and then it just flattened. We just plateaued. And then we saw, started seeing this Delta variant starting to infect the vaccinated. And the safe thing to do is to bring back masks. That's my long winded explanation of, of the mask thing. Uh, I don't think people understand that science isn't really prone to quick decisions. It's not, that's not what science is used for. It's, it's a long process. Generally, it takes lots of data. And while, while I don't know how to phrase this, while data doesn't lie necessarily, we can misinterpret it. We can uh, be looking at the wrong thing. We can be more optimistic than we should be with what we're seeing. So it's definitely a human error. 
it's it there's no way to fix that but for the most part the science is the science whatever whatever the numbers are are the numbers i we can go into this debate over whether one percent is a lot or not uh in my opinion it is but it's it's something that if cases keep going up and we get to the point where 160 million unvaccinated people are constantly passing around COVID to each other and infecting some vaccinated. Like what, I don't know what other options we have as far, as far as to the main point of this topic, mandates, passports, coercion. uh, Like there's just comes a point where this is one of those philosophical questions of like, is the overall public health more important than individual and personal freedom uh, at, at any point? And I think this is really testing that theory. Yeah. So, so kind of go back a little bit, you know, with Dr. Bowser, you know, one, I think you're, I think you're right. He probably did make a poor assumption that people are going to continue to get vaccinated. And I think that's just a fundamental misunderstanding of America. Um, we are, are, and always have been a defiant people. Um, <laughs> we, we are people that, that nobody's going to tell me what to do. Um, leave me alone. Um, and that's not a curative flaw. Like, I mean, I think a lot of people um, are more willing to make choices for the good of their community, for the good of their family, things of that nature, as long as it's their choice and nobody in a position of authority is trying to dictate that to them. I think for, for a decent amount of the American population, um, that that's, that's the line of thought. Um, so I, I, he may have made that assumption and that's just, uh, yeah, that, that's just not, not who we are as a people. Um, and, but I think, I think people who have anger at Dr. Fauci are really misplacing the anger. He's a counselor. He's an advisor. He doesn't make decisions. Elected officials make decisions. If you don't like the decision, change the decision maker because that's not Dr. Fauci. Um, so <laughs> that's, that's, that's a big issue I have with everybody who's angry with him is, is he's not elected. He doesn't make choices. Um, I mean, not, I'm not saying he doesn't make choices. I mean, obviously he has delegated authority from the elected uh, representatives, but with regards yeah. to public policy, yeah. he advises, he says, here's the data. Here's how I understand it. Here's what I think. You know, move on from there, Mr. President, basically. Right. Um, so, uh, what, what was, I'm sorry, what was the last point? Because the Dr. Balti stuff was comical to me in my mind. Uh, <laughs> no worries. Uh, oh, oh saying, yeah. yeah like, like this, we're getting to the real crux of is the public health, when does public health become more important than the individual's right to freedom, basically? Yeah. And in, in, in my mind, so, like you said, the legal ground here is a little curious, right? Because um, variants happen. Um, I read a few papers from, from uh, Johns Hopkins yesterday. Variants happen not with the unvaccinated. The variants actually happen within the vaccinated yes. or the previously infected. Yes. Um, and, and the reason the unvaccinated contribute to this is because let's say the vaccine is 99% effective, right? Well, if you come into contact with 100 people who aren't vaccinated or 100 people who are both infected and unvaccinated, they give it to you. The vaccine ultimately kills it, probably without you being symptomatic um, or even aware you've ever had it. But the adaptation of the virus still occurs in, in an attempt to survive. Um, and it still can transmit with that mutation in an attempt to survive. And that's where you get all these variants. So the whole argument with obviously vaccines is if everybody, let's just theoretically say everybody's vaccinated, um, then the statistical likelihood of variants developing um, is negligible at that point, right? Yeah. Um, now, what what I, what I think has to happen because in other governing and judicial philosophies, um, like a parliament, for instance, will pass a law and it'll immediately go to the courts to test um, constitutionality of that country. If the courts reject it, then it never goes to the public. And it doesn't actually go to the public until the courts approve it. Our system is much different. Um, you have to prove harm done 
before it ever goes to court to test the legality of the law. Um, so theoretically, for the most part, any governing body can pass any law. And then when it actually harms somebody or adversely affects them, that's when you take it to court. So I think what the government will have to do with this instance, um, to some degree, is so that the unvaccinated are contributing um, to mutations by getting vaccinated people sick and then the virus develops within them to the point where the vaccinated are no longer safe because we're perpetually having a mutating virus that over several deviations changes enough to the way the vaccine cannot pick it up and you have to start all over again. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would I would say to some degree um, that has to be proven by the government because in my mind, if it's people saying I choose not to get the vaccine and I will live with the consequences, part of living in a free society is letting people make their own mistakes, even if the consequences of those mistakes are grave. Um, because the government's primary role isn't to keep me alive. If the government's sure. primary role is to sure. keep me from doing anything to adversely affect you. You're right. And here's and that's I think that's the crux of it, right? Here's why I don't like that argument. Uh, and it doesn't hold much water with me. If if COVID was you caught it and it killed you or had the possibility to kill you and then went away and never we never heard of it individually from you again, that's one thing. But the fact that you can it's highly transmissible and you can pass it to other people and now vaccinated people, I don't want to catch COVID. I've done everything I can to not catch COVID. Uh, I'm more worried about the long-term effects on of COVID than I am the long-term effects of the vaccine by a factor of a million. Uh, I think that at a certain point, I think it's going to have to be done more through, I'm going to use the term coercion, but it doesn't necessarily have to be like, you have to do this. You can, you can provide incentives uh, to, to do it. I, I mean, it might take a Republican victory in 2024 and having that Republican really push for people to get vaccinated for, for a large majority of the unvaccinated to get vaccinated. I don't think with the current administration, uh, they basically, they're basically at their peak of people who will get vaccinated. I don't think it's going to get any better without, uh, without somebody they quote unquote trust telling them. And even then, and even like Trump's already come out. Trump has wide support in the Republican Party and Republican voter base. He's come out and said, get the vaccine. Yep. Uh, there's there's a, a concerted effort among him and cynical Democrats to say that it's Trump's vaccine. He's the one that was in president yep. when this was being made and he made all the decisions to get it out to the public, blah, blah. blah. If he would have won in 2020, we would still have seen the same rollout, right? Like. We would have done mm -hmm. the exact same thing. Nothing would have changed. So there's that. We've we've tried to advertise that, and it's there's still about half the population. Uh, I know that includes kids who can't get vaccinated. So, but for ease of of conversation, yeah, half the population is still unvaccinated. So, so I don't know. I don't know what we can do. And I know that if you want it, listen. And this kind of goes into the point we made earlier or I made earlier, if you don't want to be vaccinated, that's entirely fine with me. I don't want you in my restaurant where I'm sitting next to me while I'm eating. I don't want you next to me in the theater while I'm trying to watch the next, while I'm trying to watch Dune in two months. Cause I'm dying to see that movie. Uh, and, and, and stuff like that. If you want to not be vaccinated, you get to hang out at your house. You get to wear a mask and try to stay outside as much as possible. That's your choice. Your choice isn't to not get vaccinated, be contagious, and then go be in the local populace spreading the, the virus, possibly. And I will say as far as the what we said about the variants and being vaccinated and being unvaccinated uh, and having to prove that, I'm... I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not an evolutionary biologist. I don't know. This is my my layman's very low-level <laughs> understanding of how all this stuff works. The virus mutates into in, in a vaccinated person to fight the vaccine, to stay alive against the vaccine, mm -hmm. against the antibodies that you've made. Gets passed back to the unvaccinated who propagate it much faster because even mm -hmm. if you are even if you are vaccinated, are 
being vaccinated means you're even, even if it is the Delta variant, you're still less likely to get it. Like you're not a hundred percent to get it. I think it's like 60% yeah. or something effective against it, but still a large portion of the vaccinated populace. So it's, it's going from vaccinated, mutating and vaccinated, going to the unvaccinated populace, propagating way, 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 way faster. And then getting, coming back in like you, then your then your odds are much higher as a vaccinated person of coming in contact with the Delta variant and getting sick. So I, I don't know how you prove that, but that's that's my understanding of what's happening. And the longer we sit in this this like fifty fifty vax unvaxed, the longer this goes on, right? I, I there are herd immunity thresholds of like seventy to eighty percent for most vaccines. But for highly contagious stuff, you're getting into like ninety percent of the population needs to be vaxed. And I I don't unfortunately I don't see a future where ninety percent of the population is vaxed uh, ever. So. I don't know. It's it's an interesting, it's an interesting and to, to go back to my original point, one percent is a lot over a lot over a large populace. Like one percent of the United States populace is three point five million people. That would be a not to say that one percent of the U.S. population is going to die or or anything like that. I definitely don't think that that's if every single person in the United States caught COVID, the death toll would not be three three point five million. But taking the data we do have and extrapolating it, three point five million people would be an would be a lot of people, no matter if it's one percent or half a percent. One point, sure. yeah, be 1. Be million. It, it's that's huge. That's a huge amount of people. We we like less than five thousand died in nine eleven, and we went on a twenty year war for it. Like one point <laughs> seven five million is half a percent is insane. That's an insane number. Yeah, no, it, it is, and I certainly don't think um, anybody would would dismiss the tragedy of loss of life. Um, or, or say, well, it's only one percent. Um, but from a legal standpoint, I think you have, you do have to prove. Um, definitely, definitely agree, one hundred. Yeah, you know that point. So, you know, and I think the way you would prove it, for instance, among the unvaccinated, and, and this is what I think is going to have to be argued if it comes to seeing court, because um, you can't just use the same arguments that have been uh, used previously. So, I think what you have to argue is that this is only a threat to the unvaccinated, which I think all the data still says, even with the Delta variant, even if you catch it as a vaccinated person, you're not going to the hospital for it. Um, yeah, it's most like 90, 99.1% of hospitalizations yeah, I, are unvaxxed. Yeah. And I think, so I think most, you know, most people who even catch the Delta variant um, is kind of the, uh, it takes the toll on your body, um, at least from a feeling standpoint, like a cold would. Um, so I, I think the way you would prove, listen, the unvaccinated are contributing to the point where the but nobody has freedom to protect themselves because now we're seeing I'll make up a number forty percent of the vaccinated population going to the hospital or having um, irreversible symptoms even you know so so I think that would be what the government would have to prove to show this is why it is mandated across the board because we have to protect the life of our citizens from other citizens, um, not from themselves, but from other citizens. <laughs> right. and, and, and this is, this is the only way to do it. We have to mandate it with, um, in this situation, and this was proven in the Harlan case without religious exemption. Um, and the only exemptions would be essentially medical reasons. Hey, my body does not respond to vaccines. And right, right. Cause even the Harlan case said, you didn't argue that. So we're not ruling on that. Right. So, so and I, and I think that's what they'd have to do. I think that's what they have to prove it because to kind of go back to your point again, not making little of loss of life. Um, I'm, I'm very, very strongly that, that ultimately we're all image bearers of God and that gives us um, intrinsic value that you can't dismiss. But do you restrict the freedom of 100% of the population, even if that restriction is what people would do by themselves um, to protect 1%? Um, and, and since you kind of brought up 9-11, that would be very similar. The, the danger with that rationale is that's what gets things like the Patriot Act passed. I'm right. afraid my my main desire is to protect, therefore, I will restrict liberty um, beyond what is necessary to protect. In the Patriot Act case, beyond what is necessary to protect. So right. I think that's where, I mean, just at some point you have to be able to quantify and say, what is the threshold where... Um, we cannot cross this line and there's no way for people to have a choice to protect themselves. 
without a mandate. Yeah, but I yeah. again, I think to kind of be cynical again, if Al-Qaeda had killed 1.75 million Americans on 9-11 instead of 5,000, we would have much worse than the Patriot Act. Like it wouldn't even be, or like. I don't disagree, but I also don't think it'd be right. No, I'm, I'm just saying like we would take, we yeah. would have taken a much stronger action against that. Like if they killed 1% of the population and the fact that we have, and like we, and the, the, the wild thing is, is that everybody would be on board. They would have been on board. If, what are we at? 600,000 COVID, de- COVID deaths. If, if Al Qaeda killed 600,000 people on nine 11, everybody would have been on board with Patriot act times a million, uh, invading the entire middle East and destabilizing everything like as, as quote unquote Patriots, we would have been on board. You killed, <laughs> you killed 1.75 million Americans. You killed 600, whatever number, 600,000 Americans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we're coming for you and we're, we're all going to yeah, be in this a... together. Like, but the fact that it's like a disease and it doesn't kill everyone and, whatever like it's such a it's such a weird way of of looking at it and i don't i don't know man it's it's for me it's super disheartening that people don't want to do their like i i i it's called doom scrolling where you go through twitter and you just read the worst of twitter and like just like all the all the people who are anti-vax that are going to these town halls and talking about 5g chips and uh you know, lizard people and serpent DNA. And like, it's like, but these people are serious. Like they're, they're, they're absolutely believe this. And I don't think that's the entire 160 million. I'm not that cynical, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's still ideas that propagate throughout and it gives them reason to doubt. And I'm not saying you should trust the government and everything you actually, as a matter of fact, you probably shouldn't trust the government almost ever. You should always look (laughs) into it yourself or, or, or talk to the professionals and the experts. If your doctor tells you not to get the vaccine, I'm in, in for valid reason. If if your doctor says, "Hey, uh, I would I would wait for the FDA approval," personally, then that's fine with me. That's a that's a great excuse. You've 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 at least done the bare minimum. If your doctor tells you to get the vaccine and you don't because of some you think it's some global Chinese conspiracy or whatever the I don't know, man. A lot of that stuff is wild, but like that is not okay and like if you don't trust your doctor for the covid vaccine why are you going to trust your doctor when you get sick when you have a heart attack when you come down with uh pneumonia like why why is he okay to trust then and he's okay to treat you then but when they're telling you that you should get the vaccine you don't like that there's just like this this huge gap that i don't think is ever going to be crossed we're never going to get 70 80 90 percent vaccinated i think we'll get like six i think we're gonna get to like 60 percent. i think whatever's left of the unvaccinated we're gonna get another 10 percent of that yeah i i guess i would see it differently i think once it gets fully uh fda licensed um you're gonna start seeing mandates um I, I'm talking without mandates, but but yes. Oh, I think, oh, oh yeah, no. I mean, yeah. I think, I think on the on the on your own on the own free will part, I think we're only going to get another ten percent of what we currently have without any government intervention. Is what sorry is what I was trying to say. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I'll take the under on that. I don't know that we'll quite get another ten percent. Um, you know, just could spin around. So, I mean, there's not even um, like when it first came out. Right. Like there was like a line that you had to get in and there yeah. hasn't been a line for quite some time. No. Um, so, I mean, I think the only people now that would that would get it that haven't gotten it. Um, so, I mean, some of it would be political, certainly, but it would be like, um, oh, you know, there's probably a decent number of people like, oh, we'll get it eventually. And then like the wife gets pregnant or some other variable happens that moves that up the priority list. Um, You know, I don't think there's 10% of the population left, you know, that that's going to uh, experience that. I think, I I think maybe 5% will be what we'll get without. (laughs) Try to be be optimistic here. (laughs) We'll see. So. All right. Is there anything else that we missed? I know we didn't go over everything, but I thought we had a pretty good comprehensive uh talk about as as far as like mandates and 
and government intervention goes there. I think, I mean, there's a whole swath of these. Like, again, I, I wanted to touch on the libertarian aspect of it, but you, you kind of did. Like, I think the non-aggression principle is a really interesting way to look at, at, at pandemics and mandating vaccines and whatnot. Uh, but maybe we'll have to save that for another time. Yep. That'd be a good conversation for another time. Well, it'd also be a good conversation. This is completely diverting, but like, you know, we both pretty much agreed a business owner should have the right to, put whatever rules in place they want, right? Um, you know, for, for how they're going to run the business. Um, so if that's the principle, what do we make of, like, for instance, the civil rights laws that came out of the 60s? Was the government yep. right to... So, I mean, again, not a vaccine conversation at all, but in that same principle of how much freedom do you give the individual to yep. do, you know, what they want with their business, that, that, that'll that be an interesting debate as well. well. We'll add it to the list. That's definitely something <laughs> I'm interested in talking about. Uh, well... That was a fun conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, again, we're the 1v1 Deep State Podcast. I am at the rake, but the A is a four on Twitter, at Thomas Black underscore 86, and at OVO Deep State on Twitter. Give us a follow, uh, like, subscribe to uh, the Apple, Spotify, uh, Amazon, Google. We're all on all the major podcasts. Uh, we will be back in two weeks. Uh, we only do every other week because both of us are busy and now we're at a new recording schedule and I don't know how often I can do five o'clock in the morning, but until next time, we appreciate you guys. Take it easy.